Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. Today we look at the turmoil in Turkey. It's a complicated story involving arrests for corruption, sackings in the police force, a challenge to the power base of Prime Minister Recep Tayyip Erdogan, and a split between Erdogan and his former backers in the powerful Gulenist movement. Taken together, all these developments threaten the political and economic stability of a large, dynamic country that's vital to the geopolitics of both Europe and Asia. So to sort out what it all means, I'm joined from Turkey by our correspondent there, Dan Dombey, and here in the studio is Tony Barber, our Europe editor. Dan, we'll start with the man on the spot. What on earth is going on? It's a very complicated story. It is a complicated story. What we're seeing here, I think, is a battle between the ruling coalition, the winning coalition, that in a certain sense got its hold on Turkey in 2002. Turkey is a country that's like Italy and other countries, but there was an old Cold War era order that collapsed. And in its place in Turkey, essentially the pious Muslim movement really took supremacy. On the one hand, there were people who had the vote. That was the AKP party of Prime Minister Recep Tayyip Erdogan. On the other hand, there was a group of people who really had the personnel. And this is this movement of Fethullah Gulen, which really focuses on education and had an awful lot of people, highly trained people, who work in the police service, the prosecutor service, the judiciary. Fethullah Gulen is a 70-something-year-old preacher who lives in Pennsylvania, but has a very large network of followers right across Turkey. And what we've seen in recent weeks is a really intensified clash. Now Mr. Erdogan's government itself denounces the Gulenists as a parallel state. For a long time, they worked together against the old military regime order, which had carried out four coups in the preceding 50 years. But with the military vanquished, and with both sides suspicious that the other wanted to get too much power, they fell out. The tension has been building for the last two years. But really, on December the 17th, when an anti-corruption probe began, it really exploded into the open. And who has the upper hand now? I mean, there have been these arrests of people close to Prime Minister Erdogan, but he's now sacked people in the police force. I mean, are we talking about something that could bubble over in the next month or a couple of months and actually pose a threat to Mr Erdogan's continued tenure as Prime Minister? I think that Mr Erdogan is secure, at least for the short and medium term. If you look at it this way, I think it's similar to something like Afghanistan or even Vietnam. Erdogan is facing an insurgency. As I said, the AKP provided the votes. But in terms of skilled people in the Turkish bureaucracy, the Gulenists probably have many more following. So there's a battle right now. There's a corruption probe that the government says is politically motivated, and the timing of it is at least politically motivated, and they say some of the charges are fabricated. They say the Gulenists are behind that uh, corruption probe. In order to counter it, they've done all sorts of things. They've moved hundreds of policemen, probably something like 1,700 at least since December the 17th when the probe began. But as I said, it's like a guerrilla war. It's like Afghanistan. Because every time they move these guys, more come up. It's a battle that may be very, very hard for Gulen to win, 
because they're fighting an established government with a popular vote, which has its arms on most of the leaders of the state. But it's equally a very, very hard battle for Erdogan to win, because they simply don't know who are their allies in the police force or the judiciary or the prosecutor service. And it seems every time they sack people, more come up. So a, a very complicated power struggle, Tony. But for outsiders, for the rest of Europe, I mean, what does this shaky moment in Turkey's history mean? Those who are particularly concerned about developments in Turkey, of course, extend beyond Europe. They uh, include notably the United States, because the importance of Turkey as as a military ally in NATO as well as an important diplomatic partner and until recently very dynamically developing economic power. In all these senses, Turkey matters greatly to the US and Europe. And I think this is why there is such concern about the stability of the emerging democracy there. But uh, at the same time, events have been going in difficult directions in relations between Turkey and the West for a number of years, uh, in particular the effort to bring Turkey closer to the EU, which began in earnest in 2005 when Turkey became an official candidate for membership. That has pretty much stalled and uh, is not regarded as a realistic outcome for some time to come. But also the friction between Turkey and the US has disturbed a lot of people, and this covers issues such as Turkey's a deteriorating relationship with Israel, an idea that Turkey had of of buying a Chinese uh, missile system that wasn't compatible with those of NATO, and indeed uh, allegations from Erdogan's party that some of the disturbances over the last year in Turkey have somehow involved the US. So you mentioned Erdogan's conspiracy-minded suggestions that that people are out to get him, not just in Turkey, but, but outside Turkey. Now, without necessarily buying into the fully developed conspiracy theory, is it the case that the West's attitude to Erdogan has changed so much that he's now seen no longer as really an asset that people at some level might be rather hoping that this is it for the Erdogan regime? Certainly from the US point of view, I think they'd be pretty cautious before writing him off because you've got no idea what might come after him. And the problem, I think, has been that the political secular opposition to Erdogan has not really shown that it's popular enough with the Turkish electorate to win power at national level. And therefore, it's not a horse that you'd, you'd really want to back totally from if, you're a, if you're an outside ally at this point. And Dan, what does all this turmoil say about both the stability but also the reality or otherwise of Turkish democracy? Because if the police force is, as you suggest, so politicised that corruption probes might indeed be ordered up as part of a kind of internal Islamist feud, and if, on the other hand, the prime minister can just start sacking people because they've been arresting his allies, is there even rule of law in Turkey these days? That's the question. In fact, I remember when you came to Turkey in the midst of the Gezi protests in June, you asked me whether there was rule of law in Turkey, and I said I I wasn't sure that there was. There are a lot more people expressing those kinds of doubts today. You've seen clearly that either one or possibly both of two propositions is true. Either the police is infiltrated by a conspiracy, or the government is trying to squash the uh, forces of law and order in the country, or both. It doesn't seem possible to deny either of those uh, propositions at the same time. I'd make one point as well in addition to that, which is perhaps a bit connected to what Tony said. If you look at Turkey, 
if you look at its economic success, its political stability, its diplomatic rise over the last 10 years, a lot of that was interest on the capital that the country built up in the very first years of this millennium. Between 2001, when there was a big banking crisis and the IMF came to solve it, and 2004-2005, when the EU process got going. There were an enormous number of reforms in every part of Turkish life in those years. What we've seen now, however, for several years is the rule of law going backwards, power being centralized, more arbitrary governance. That capital has largely been spent in Turkey. It's much less predictable country. It's much less a country, many people say, ordered by the rule of law. And that, I think, has very big consequences for where this country is going in terms of political stability and also in terms of its economic prospects as well. Tony, let's talk about the economy because it's not a great time for Turkey to go through instability with all this questions about how emerging markets generally will cope as the Federal Reserve in the US pulls back on quantitative easing. How vulnerable is Turkey? There certainly are some vulnerabilities. I mean, if one looks at the Turkish current account deficit, which is pretty high, only a relatively small proportion of that is covered by direct foreign investment and the rest of it is covered by money that can be moved out at pretty sharp notice if the funders take fright at what's going on. And uh, that's a pattern that we've seen in the pre-Erdogan years. Turkey has always been a little bit vulnerable to rapid movements of of capital like this, and it can be pretty destabilising. That's not to say, of course, that the economic progress on a broader front has not been impressive in the 11 years that Erdogan's been in power. It, It has been, but definitely there are vulnerabilities. And Dan, you mentioned uh, the Gezi protests earlier. I mean, the the last kind of manifestation of the idea that all was not well in in Turkey were these big demonstrations last summer. But they were kind of popular discontent. This current uh, round of instability seems to be kind of internal uh, wrangling within the ruling elite. Is there any chance of the Gezi-style protests being reignited as a result of this internal power struggle? I don't think so, but there are a couple of caveats. First of all, let's not forget, among this discussion of politicisation, that there have been some pretty incriminating discoveries in this corruption probe. The chief executive of a state bank was found to have $4.5 million in shoeboxes at his home, and he hasn't denied that. The son of the interior minister, the ex-interior minister, was found to have very large piles of cash and a cash counting machine as used in banks at his home. He hasn't denied that. There's been quite a lot of outrage at such corruption. There was a Gezi chant in the Jezi months, everywhere is Gezi. Now people at football matches and elsewhere are shouting, everywhere is corruption. So there's a lot of genuine outrage at that. That said, the venue at the moment is election. We're really in a pre-election mode. We're in an election year, which means a lot for stability in Turkey. We've got big municipal elections in March in which the big main prizes are going to be Istanbul and Izmir. And then we have presidential elections by the end of August, at which maybe Mr. Erdogan is going to compete. So that is where a lot of this is going to be resolved. Now, Mr. Erdogan keeps on telling his persecutors, as he sees them in the police, the prosecutor service and the judiciary, that they'll be answered at the ballot box. But the answer and the dynamic may be a difficult one. Just to go back to what you earlier said, what Tony said in terms of an alternative, Many people had hoped that the alternative in Turkey would be President Abdullah Gül, a much more emollient figure, very much identified with the EU bid, seen as much more of an internationalist. The hope had been 
that if the Prime Minister took the step up to the presidency, Mr. Gould would get his hands on the lever of real power again and become Prime Minister. That may be less likely now. Mr. Erdogan is clearly still trying to look for a big vote in March. But actually, given all of this unrest, it's very unlikely that the AKP vote will stay as strong as it has been in the recent past, as in 2011 when it got 50%. If he feels that he doesn't have enough votes to win the presidency, to get the 50-plus percent votes that he needs in the presidency, he may stay prime minister. But what we're likely to see in any case is a continuation of what we've seen. Further accumulation of powers in the centre. We've seen proposals just this week which would really increase the Ministry of Justice's control over judges and prosecutors. The Prime Minister surrounding himself with loyalists. And a real concern, perhaps, that the direction in which Turkey went in the early years of this century is now really being quite definitively reversed. Fascinating stuff, Dan. Thank you very much indeed. That was Dan Dombey in Istanbul. Thank you also to Tony Barber here in the studio in London. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.